Hello, and you're listening to Let's Drone Out. And special thank you to our lovely patrons that help donate so that we can pay the editor to remove the swear words and silly things we say. Massive thank you to... Carlos Campos. Art Faulkner. Sam Dharma. Mikey Dread. On with the show. Let's Drone Out. Hello and welcome back to another exciting episode of Let's Drone Out. Tonight we are joined by everyone's favourite. Oh, is that a squeaky knee or is it just a door? Curry kitten. Hello. The man behind the moustache, Stephen. All right. Hello. And everyone's favourite YouTube to figure out problems with their Nays32, Painless360. Hey, hi, Jack. And I'm Brian to Life Fly. Hello, and welcome back to the show. We've got no Frank, unfortunately. Um, he's attending a family funeral. Uh, sorry for your loss, buddy. I hope you're doing okay. He might be back to join us. So Frank suddenly appears. Uh, we have been blessed with his company. Um, so I have been chatting to, obviously, my buddy Painless. Every now and again, we like to check in on one of each other uh mainly painless ringing me as i'm asleep most of the time <laughs> no, the- <laughs> steven your dinner's ready <laughs> yeah, i'm yes, on fun. a podcast right now just to inform my other half i have indeed fed uh, fed our, our poor wasting away ever hungry cats who have probably been trying to con a second dinner out for yep that is so fun. We haven't seen your cat for a while, man. Uh, they're shy until you get the can opener out. That's the thing. It's all covered love with those two. Oh, bless. That's your little fur babies, making sure they don't waste away. Yeah. Or the opposite, oh. which is more likely. Nice. <laughs> how, how have you been paying this? What have you been up to? Quite a bit, actually. It seems to have been a little bit of a busy period. I mean, the way it works here is that before the world exploded, most of August I'd spend in the summer holidays traveling with Mrs. Painless. It, yeah, her being a teacher, can, you know, we can kind of get a serious time away. Obviously, that hasn't happened for two years, but I lived in hope. So the way it works is that in June and July, I create lots of extra content. So, you know, if I have a flash of inspiration or get a great question or a good product or whatever. And I'll do the video and then kind of, if it's not time sensitive, I'll kind of stick it away in the queue and it comes out through the whole of August. And it's always fun. Uh, Cause that always happens. And people just assume that, uh, because they're they always come out at six o'clock in the morning. If you've ever spotted it, if you ever kind of sat there bored, but um, and people assume that I'm sat there, you know, I set me alarm for quarter to six and I'm sat there waiting for on the publish button. And as soon as it goes, I go, all ah, right, publish. And you just schedule them, right? So I'm just coming to the end of it. But they had loads of new stuff in. And coming into the start of this month, I was thinking, 
I haven't got a lot to talk about in September. And then suddenly, I mean, you probably found this as as, as well, Wayne, is that you get these kind of uh, it, it dips and rise. You know, you think that you, you, nobody's talking to you about anything. And then suddenly you have like four or five contacts get in touch with you saying, oh, there's this or that thing we'd like you to have a look at. And it's been like that. It's been crazy. I mean, behind me, oh, we're doing that thing where it's not mirror image there's a there's a there's a quad on the table that's out in a couple of weeks which is really unusual there's a big one and a half meter flight wingspan um plane from atom rc the videos on the thing tomorrow that's been fun to build although transporting it's going to be a bit interesting with my little car but anyway um and then obviously the big thing which i know steve and i want to have a chat about is buggering about with express lrs Oh, now that we yeah. have real the radio tail on the product release, which I think Curry Kitten's also involved in, where yeah. you receive a product and then you review it and then you fix it for the manufacturer and you review it again and explain how you fixed it. Or you get the product in, you start playing with it, you realize that it's not as complete as it should be. And then uh, you kind of stop all the production of videos on that product until you can be confident uh, that you're not, uh, drawing people towards a product that is fundamentally flawed. I believe a um, consummate professional there. It's impressive. I, I, well, the thing is, I'd rather make a video when I've got it all fit, which is why there's been no extra videos about the beta FPV stuff mm-hmm. after they, way we've got real hardware, right. you know, woohoo. Um, because since then, I still haven't yet managed to make do it you, all work. Do, do you feel that you're kind of in the same place as maybe the FR Sky? general team were when someone like ran out of their lab the first time they got like d8 or d16 working and went hey this is working it's amazing try it except this time you actually they've actually shipped you the product and it's just come out of the lab and it's just ready and it's it's still going through the testing and revisions and qa i think it's more complicated than that in that at least free sky had control of the software and the hardware Mm. and they could test it in the lab before they shipped it out the door. So although although I think, you know, there were instances in the early days where, the, the you know, the ink wasn't even dry on the manual before they started packing it in boxes and shipping it, um, I think the challenge with the ELRS, and, you know, I'm interested to see what you guys think, is that the project and the code is pretty good now. You know, it's had there's right. been lots and lots and yeah, lots I mean, of tests. I've, I've bought a DIY transmitter, and mine worked out the box. So I'm really confused when these huge manufacturers take something that's a DIY product that someone's made in their bedroom in the UK here, and they ship to me, and it works perfectly. And they copy it, and they manage to not perfectly copy it. Well, that's the issue, though, isn't it, Stephen? They, they're not copying it. And, and, and I spoke to one of the developers at length. He was brilliant, actually. Uh, he also happens to be one of my Patreons. So when I kind of, because on, on my feed on the Patreon thing, I was just explaining how with that particular week, everything I touched turned to crap. You know, when you have one of those weeks where literally, you know, you're, you're, you're afraid to go to the toilet in case it comes off in your hand. Right. Because literally everything you touch breaks. Try and pour milk in your cereal and you've just dropped it and there's glass. That's it. You know, and you, and, yeah, you, and you end up with a fork in your eye. It's just like, it's one of those weeks. And anyway, part Every, of the... Everything's on fire. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And, and the fire extinguisher you pick up, to, it's full of, you know, gasoline. It's that kind of week. And the ELRS system was part of that. And he very kindly said... I'll jump on Skype with you and help you troubleshoot it. And God bless him, he took two hours out of his life that he's never getting back. Um, and we we were actually doing things like short-circuiting 
some pins on some of the chips to ground mm-hmm. to try and make it work. And it really got into, we started with the, let's try the easy stuff first. And at the end of the two hours, we were way past my knowledge level. <laughs> and we were, we were, it wasn't, we were in the weeds. We dug up the garden and we would hit, like, we were at bedrock. It, it got bedrock, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was just this. What is did you get to hard. in the end? What what was the the final breakthrough that you got out of that? Well, it it what it turned out to be is that uh, I'm using the Beta FPV all in one flight controller that has the uh, the receive actually on the yeah. flight controller itself, and you use the Beta Flight pass through. So the, so the way if you if you're listening to this, so that's Ryan, still you are connected, but it's just on the same PCB, right? It's not an SPI one, is it, or is it the SPI one? No, it's you are connected, but there's a the, right. but the, the, but we found the wrinkle. But well, he did because he kind of went away and just went doesn't make sense. So um, just to kind of explain, if anyone's listening to this and doesn't know what Express LRS is, it's this open source, uh, non-proprietary. Anyone can make it. Uh, project that's an amazing idea that anyone can just come along and everyone started you know it's it's not a new project by any stretch of the imagination version one's been out a couple of weeks but a couple of manufacturers have made custom hardware for it for the first time and uh it's fair to say that all that's uh, caveat 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 all of the custom hardware that i've heard about has little tweaks but this this turn what it turned out to be believe it or not Stephen, it was actually um because it is talking from the receiver to the flight controller over CR- CRSF. That's right, yep, isn't it? That's the one. Yep. Uh, which, interestingly, I spoke to Trappy about because when I saw that they were using CRSF, I was like, oh, that's that's really smart. Um, bi-directional protocol, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's pretty it bulletproof. It's been around for a while. It just works, right? Yeah, exactly. So so I kind of went to Trappy thinking, oh, have they licensed that, right? Because, you know, Trappy tends to get a little bit they just uh, built implementations in beta flight and open tx as far as i know yeah they've <laughs> just kind of they've just, just kind of figured it out and made it work and and uh speaking to trappy he was like he's actually quite chilled about that and just went yeah they've realized that it's it's the logical choice but um but the way it works is that uh, when you do the beta flight pass through to flash it and to talk to it yeah you you basically then just use the fl- um to use the beta flight pass-through command to go over the UART to the receiver. But yeah. that only works if you've got telemetry turned off in oh, beta yeah, flight. The telemetry issue, I remember hearing about that, yeah. Yeah. So so that's, that's actually what it was. So that's how long ago. So um, so we tried, every, like I said, hard, you know, we actually had a, um, what do you call it, like a, a piece of wire, and I was kind of trying to short-circuit to force the boots like and all this probe. kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, no, no, it wasn't. It was nowhere that fancy. It was uh, what do you call the paperclip? All right, a paperclip. Right, there we, <laughs> we, we were getting really, you know, all like clips as it is. Good old paperclips. Yeah. Um, and cool. and it's things like that that I was like, oh come on. I, I expected this to be, you know, ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. but checking with them, it appears that what's been happening is that there's a hardware spec for each. ELRS that's been given to the hardware vendors and no and it's up to the hardware vendors to check whether or not the software works okay <laughs> um and the missing flash come that's it ship it yeah and, and I've, I've spoken no, to some of the other vendors who i trust who i know would make a, a quality module that probably would be a little bit more expensive than the ones that we've already had um, and everyone I spoke to has just said, I'm not touching that with a barge pole because the people who have produced them have gone for the lowest common denominator in terms of Same price. Way. 
the super cheapo happy model one that's in there. I've put it yep. in a Radio Master box. That one has worked an absolute treat. The only reason it's open now is because you may have observed this is not an open TX radio. So I've actually been doing some debugging myself just before running down the pub prior to this. Um, I was working with a, an ELRS developer on a PR because they said they'd fixed all the Lua code for non-Express LRS Lua scripts. So you can use okay. the uh, TBS Agent Lite, the TBS Crossfire scripts, and you can also use it with a Crossfire implementation on Deviation TX. I saw Lurgy was using one of these when we were flying last at, at LDO. No, so there's plenty of people out there still have these, which was it was. It's not they're, they're not bad little radios. They're not and bad it was competent. at all. It did 101 different protocols. Got your built-in multi-protocol module, and it accepts Crossfire. It doesn't do Ghost. It doesn't do all these fancy modern protocols, but it does do CRSF and CRSF can render the menus from Express LRS. So you can plug this in and you don't need a new Lua script. It's all built into the firmware. There's no, you can't even add scripts. It's all compiled in. But because they've compiled CRSF support, they, the guys at Express LRS are making the V2 of Express LRS, which is due out in a short while, work with these ancient radios where Crossfire support was available. And we were trying to figure out why it suddenly stopped working. It turned out they'd added in the module names and they put, they, they previously called it HMES24TX, nice short version. Yes, and they made it more verbose. Yeah. They made it happy model ES24TX, and it turned out there was a 12-character limitation on these old radios <laughs> for all of the fields, and it was just <laughs> refusing to render any of the menus since they increased the – so we had to, like, binary search the field's length, and I compiled umpteen things and set it up with a, a little debug UART and – yeah, 12 characters is what we came out with. So that's going to be fixed soon, I hope. Don't well, lie, it strikes would... me that um, the, the problem is it, it's like when you have a product, it should be an ongoing concern. So it's like these people are putting them together, cheapest chips. Did we get to flash that? Yeah, seems all right, go. Instead of like there should be an ongoing testing phase. It's like new firmware has been released. Can we just check that on our modules? And that's your functional testing. But yeah, in software, you have like a system test where you're trying to right. create um, really complex scenarios or stresses that are going to try and break the module and you need to make sure it gets through all of these but that's not happening so it's like yeah this this module may have worked originally but no one bothered testing it afterwards so then it's up to the users to try and find it out and um, like when I called you uh, Lee about that yeah beta, thank you beta FPV module I said this 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 took me ages and I then I went on to the Nimno module which I still can't say for this would be easy that was even harder that took me even longer to fathom out so god knows oh, what don't say that because be. I've got one of them on the way <laughs> <laughs> look at the traditional companies who are making modules you've got Immersion RC TBS uh, FR Sky these are all big houses that do that continued product support and the people that are coming on board for the ELRS stuff these are the type of guys that would build flight controllers ship them and never support them again so for them, that I think it's just a new way of working. It's brand new and it's a bit of a shock to them. I think we've got a period where all this is going to get worked out over time because I, I, I think I feel sorry at the moment for the ES, ELRS developers because they've done everything that they can in the code to try and make this kind of work. And then, you know, the, the, 
Pandora's box has been opened, and it's yeah. that it's a lot of the hardware issues that are causing. Because although you know us, and hopefully the people listening to the podcast, you know, I've I, I kind of been a lot, been a, around in the hobby long enough to know that actually what we're talking about here is a fantastic idea and a good set of version one code yeah. with. Uh, challenging integration with the hardware that's the, the custom-made hardware that's out there and then in six months from now we'll probably look back in this and it'll you know we'll probably laugh at how difficult it was because all these things are going to get worked out right but it, but you know but it just if you look at you know the, the comparison you use with people like um anthony and immersion rc and trapia tbs the cool thing that those guys have got is that they're in control of all parts of the ecosystem they have the hardware, they have the software, like Wayne says. They can go in the lab, they can try and flash it, they can get the old version one of the module that they've still got and try and see whether that works and then go and only release the code when it gets at the and moment. Pilots, whereas a lot of these others are just factories, really. And then, you know, you see a few videos of Happy Model flying off their building, but for the most part, these are large scale factory operations and not driven by pilots and software developers. No, so, I, I think absolutely right. And, and, and you've the, been in. Sorry, can I, uh, just a quick point. You've been in the business a while ago, and one thing that instantly is called back to mind is Pascal and his reverse engineering of D8. And, you know, can you remember back to the times when D8 was first cloned and the quality of modules you were seeing in those first multi-protocol modules? Because I think that's more, more of a, an accurate comparison, not comparing against Ghost or Tracer, but comparing against the first D8 clones, because that's basically what we're looking at here. I, I think it's a closer analogy. I think you're right, Stephen. I think that it, it's it's definitely more akin to what we're seeing now. It, it's just I, I just hope that the the hardware of the interfaces and the testing schedules get bottomed out a little bit more um, because it's it's ultimately going to affect the ELRS project and people's uh, confidence in it uh, because I don't think everyone's going to. You know, if they buy a module and it doesn't flash or it doesn't bind or it lets go halfway through a flight and crashes their model, you know, are they going to go, oh, the hardware's let it down? Uh, you know, the, the 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 project gets tarred with the same brush. And that's the yeah. issue because actually the project is is a bloody great idea. I love the idea that I, I can't – well, there's less chance of me ending up like I am now with loads of ACST version one free sky stuff. Uh, that I love, by the way, that's never ever touched wood, that's never ever failed on Probably me. Starts in the hobby too. Yeah, and uh, and I can't buy it anymore. Uh, and when it all, you know, I've still got loads of X8R receivers. My Tirana still talks it. My uh, Radio Master still talks it. I'm not going to go to V2. I'm not going to go to all the new FR Sky stuff because I'm already kind of invested. If I'm going to go to something else, Actually, ELRS sounds like the better way to do it because then you've seen the it, HGLRC parts yet because I've seen them appear in the repo and people talking about them. That's the one vendor that I haven't seen in reviews yet. I haven't seen them in the flesh. No, uh, that okay. HGLRC tend to be pretty good actually in terms of the quality of the stuff that I've had out of them. Uh, they don't tend to be quite as slipshod as some of the vendors that we tend to get stuff from. They're a bit more but, robust. I've had a few good FCs uh, from them. Uh, but it but it really depends on it it like as we just talked about it's not how well they design the PCB and the hardware and follow the specs because the other thing speaking to the devs is that the hardware specs of the radios aren't kind of you know uh, super duper hundred percent realized it's a guide so you can implement around that guide and I, th I think that's been part of the problem um, and the other crazy thing by the sound of it is that the way 
it's set up between the project and the hardware people is that the hardware people are the guys that actually make the money, right? Because they they put they build the modules, the modules are bought, people there's a profit, you know, being made out of those modules. You, you say there's not a, a strict spec. There is um, if you look on GitHub, Express LOS has two repos. It's got one for the software and one for the hardware. So there is there's the STL files for all the PCBs and layout diagrams and full bill of materials with all the components. But these guys are often taking something and they're like, well, to differentiate ourselves, we need to do one watt or we need a fan or we need RGB LEDs. And, and so they then tack these extra things on to try and make theirs unique. Uh, and that maybe complicates things a little bit more than just producing a bog standard 250 milliwatt, probably good enough DIY module. Which, which actually is what we need right now that just works, that flashes, that binds, you know, because I was also having issues with things like um, when you set the passphrase. Some things would work when you set the passphrase, some things wouldn't. It's just, and it, I, I just, I want to get some technology in here. And then when I've got it all working, then I'll make a video on what is ExpressLRS, how you set it up. Because at the moment, all I've been making videos is just, you know, just kind of gently weeping into the microphone. Um, and, I, and I don't want to do that because actually the project, I, I have a massive amount of love for the project. I think it's an amazing idea. I don't want to, at the moment, um, kind of go off half cocked because a lot of the things that I'm finding out, the issues that, that I'm having is not really related to the ELRS code. It's either they've missed a capacitor on the on the um hardware and the jack or uh it's thing it's that wacky stuff like you know the bloody telemetry turned on in beta flight which means it it won't work um but but it's just you know it's, it's frustrating because you want to get it yeah. and you just want to plug it in do your update on the receiver do your update on the tx module plug it in set up crsf put the lua script on and bingo you're flying and here i am it, how many four weeks later i i, I went for the opposite idea so i was like i'm having problems with this therefore other people might here is here is the warts and all of me trying to get through it because i figured other people would be doing the same but yeah sadly that sort of thing may well put people off looking at some of the comments in there th there's people you can just imagine watching the screen and running in fear waving their arms saying no i'm gonna stick with crossfire or i'm gonna stick with ghost or whatever because well, you've already got crossfire it's already got gross ghost that's not pressing i think it's really trying to appeal to the people who haven't got a pile of cash who are still running d16 and just want to move up to something that's gonna treat them better than d16 where they're not fail safing all over the place yeah yeah, yeah. although for people with um a, a big fleet equipping like yeah. you know, ten or twenty crossfire receivers is is pretty expensive, and it would be nice to have a cheaper alternative. So I get yeah. that point of view, but at the moment, it's still it still can be quite tricky. It seems to me that like, the people that went with Happy Model have have had better experiences because it's generally worked out of the box. I, I would hope, yeah. as you, as you said, Lee, HDLRC tend to be pretty good at what yeah. they produce. So fingers crossed fingers for those crossed. guys, because if it works, it's pretty easy but I just haven't had the experience of it all working yet, at least on the modules. The receiver stuff's always been pretty good. It's like, get receiver, plug it in, wait 20 seconds, the flicky light comes on, I join the Wi-Fi, I plump my uh, firmware over, and it's all good. I don't have to bind anymore. That's that's awesome. 
Yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm with you at the moment. I haven't yet had everything working. Um, the, the thing is, you know, going back to your point, it's great making the, I think there's an awful lot of stuff in the forums and videos around showing the problems. Uh, you know, I, I don't think I can add anything to that with another video about it, uh, you know, because uh, that content is out there. I just, I'd love to make a video saying this is, this is how you do it, and these are the pitfalls. The problem make is they're showing head tracker integration because they just introduced <gasps> the six or seven bit channels for head tracker. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I think I'd love to do a video that just talks about the fact that you know, at, until recently, it was only the four full resolution channels, mm. and then arming was on channel five, and then explain what it is. But yeah. it's like I don't really want to do that because right now, if people then rush out and go and buy a piece of hardware and they have the same experience as I had, you know, then um, I'll get a crappy um message saying you know yeah i've just wasted 80 quid that i'm never getting back but it um i i i just want i just want this to work i just love the idea that if 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 i can't get my favorite receiver from a happy model i can go and get it from btraf pv yeah. or i can get it from the guy making them on ebay because in theory it should all talk. i just think what a it's the same idea way as to be. Flight, right if you blow up your your fc then you can just go get another one if it works with beta flight your config you can copy over you know your pits are going to be the same off you go yeah, it 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 will be it'll be great. I, yeah, I'm I'm confident that all this stuff will get worked out. But I uh, but but to go back to the point I was making around the hardware, the hardware guys, the guys that are selling it and making the money off the sale of the of the hardware. Um, from the developer that I was speaking to, he didn't think there was any commercial relationship kicking anything back to the project. Do you know if that's still if that's the case, Stephen? When I last spoke to people about this, they said that they they didn't want that they just wanted to make the situation better for people on the ground or you know so they can fly their models that was pretty yeah. much the motivation that was the that was the answer that i got and with all respect to the developers i think because at the moment why it's exciting and fun and the developers are having a lot yeah. of uh, but eventually the project gets to the point oh. where it becomes really boring there's maintenance updates documentation code maintenance like you mean yeah, like be the flight, right? And then and then and then you've got all that donkey work and that's really yeah. boring. None of the devs want to do that. You need to basically pay some poor bugger to sit in an office and work FPV his way through it. They did actually do their own code contributions for their receivers. They may have messed a capacitor on the board, but you know, there were pull requests coming and they could review and, and that seemed to work. Um I think it the, the danger is We've got like Beale Heli S versus Beale Heli 32, right? Where they tried to make a bit of coin off Beale Heli 32. And the result was that when you get a new uh, ESC with Beale Heli 32, if it's brand new, you have to wait for them to add support for a while. And support is kind of on a, a per board basis. It doesn't just work when you, you get a new Beale Heli S ESC. It just works. Like it's an open standard. Everyone can code yeah, to whether it's Beale Heli 32 because they need money for it that you've got to wait for them to actually add your ID to the list and support your specific board. And, and that was, that's worse for consumers because you buy a new ESC and if it's got a problem, you can't upload a new firmware to it. You've got to wait for them to kind of tick through it. Whereas if it's an open standard, you can just go, oh, yeah, mine's just like this other one. I'll, I'll use yeah, the just... Omnibus F4 or whatever, like you would in Betaflight, you know, generic settings and, and off you go. Yeah. So, so I, I, I'm I'm hoping that um, that the how how do you say that radio Wayne that you've got 
the module, the Namimno. I still struggle with it. The Minnow. Hopefully, when I get that one in, it's going to be because because speaking to the devs, that seems to be one of the manufacturers that's worked the closest with the software team, which is the reason that I've gone for it as my next attempt. Because I've a lot in that Discord. That yeah. Nimno people. I can only uh, assume if you're a native Chinese speaker, it just rolls off the tongue. It's quite confusing to an English speaker. Doesn't for me. Yeah. See how many takes you do on your video when you're trying to say it. <laughs> I've got this Nimno memo. Nimno. I think we'll just, just do an outtake slowly, thing yeah. at the end of all the different attempts, um, or I'll just call it, you know, Dave or something. But it, it, it uh, avoid your own flash, aren't they? Yeah. The, the fact that I've been talking to the software guys is it makes me feel that there's been an attempt, a continued attempt to try and make this as seamless as possible. And that that can only be a good thing, right? So it's heartening. It's They're encouraging. They, they really need to include some documentation than the Mimno people because they included absolutely nothing. <laughs> and until I talked to the Discord devs, I didn't even understand how the Wi-Fi module worked. I just assumed it did the thing that everything else did, which was create a Wi-Fi point, not Access like, oh, yeah, you have to you have to go into it and log it into your home network, and then you can just join in and put it over that way. It's completely different. But um, if they don't write anything down, then it makes it quite hard for the consumer to, to figure it out. Well, something I did spot, having just flashed this uh, happy model to, to master, is the BLE joystick is now in master and enabled via the menus. So if you're playing a, a sim and you have one of these in here with the ESP32 module, that can work as a Bluetooth joystick now. So you can just hit a, a, an item in your Crossfire menu and turn on Bluetooth mode and it appears as a joystick and you pair it with your PC and play sims. You don't need one of those little, don't need to plug don't in a flight controller to USB right. or get one of these XSR sim dongles from FR Sky or things like that. It's all built into the radio. You see, that's the kind that's of stuff cool. we want. That's really cool. Yeah. That, get, get, it's getting us one step away from all this proprietary craziness that we've had, you know, with some of the protocols. And then, you know, there's all, there's all the fighting on the flight line about whose protocol is better. And then, you know, everyone hates on the spectrum guys. And then, and then you get to the point where then most of those protocols are retired anyway. It, uh, it, it'd just be nice to have one that, you know, when you get your new bind and fly model, you know, you can get it as ELRS and pretty much everything talks ELRS. And then if you want to be a bit exotic and, you know, D16 it or Tracer it or Crossfire, then you can buy the module. That sounds lovely to me. This episode was recorded in front of a live online audience, downloaded and edited to make sense when it's played audio only, censored to please the iTunes people, hosted on the internet, forwarded through to your podcast provider, downloaded, playing on your device, and is now playing in your ears all thanks to our Patreons. Consider joining them and you'll also get other online benefits. Find out more at patreon.com forward slash let's drone out. Is there anything else that we need to, because because we've done nearly half an hour on ELRS. That's, yeah, what, what's been going on in the rest of the world? There must have been some bits and pieces. You wanted to talk about iNav, didn't you, Jack? Yes, I'm wondering how you're getting on with iNav 3. Because uh, I have not, I've, I've not been brave enough to flash anything yet. I put it on my Has robot. everyone else tried it? <sighs> wow! Ha- hands, hands, up, hands up! Hands up! Hands up! If you like, I now three. 
Wayne's from not what I, I haven't got much they of changed. a comparison. I, I used it on my great big horrible F450 quad, and it came home and it position held, but it, it did do this a lot. But that's that's a different thing. But yeah, I, I really haven't used INF much in the past to see any great difference between them, from my point of view. I think a lot of the new stuff is predominantly around things like fixed wing. I think it was, it was, I mean, there's a massive amount of changes in INF3, but as a, as a fixed wing wing pilot, um, INF3.0 is so much easier than all the buggering about you had to do with INF2.61. A lot of it is around uh, how things like leveling and auto tune works. Um, so, so the way it used to be is that, uh, you know that a, a, a fixed wing model actually flies slightly nose up typically. There's not like an angle of incidence mm-hmm. to maintain uh, the altitude, you know, the, the altitude at cruise speed. And, and normally the board is flat. So usually the nose is up four or five degrees. So you had to, you had to guess that and you had to put the offset in INAV and then fly it and then cruise around in a self-level mode if you right. want to do it, and, and then see if it was sinking or rising. And then you go back and then you change it again yeah, and then you fly it again. Yeah. Um, so there was that thing. And now you can, uh, there's, there's a new feature that I actually asked for, I'm, I'm putting you know, a claim to fame is where when you're flying in an auto level mode, it kind of figures out where the controls need to be and goes, all oh, right, okay, got it. So when you click into manual, you know, i.e. turn all the help off with INAV, the, the the controls are all trimmed automatically for you. Now, that's not new because Ardu Plane has had that for donkey's years, which is why I asked for it in INAV. Um, and the other thing it does as well, you've got this uh, a flight mode called auto level. Mm. You can guess what it does. Right. And the idea is, is that you fly in a stabilized mode and you turn on auto level and then it figures out what that offset the board offset needs to be in order to maintain right. the altitude and then kind of sets that. So um, that, that manual mold mode, is it strictly manual or is it a heading hold acro type of mode? No, no it's, all it's doing is, is basically setting the servo positions so that when you go into manual mode, it's set to maintain straight and level flight. So, you know, the trimming on the radio that you'd normally do, and then you kind of come back and you kind of take that out. It kind of sets that all for you. There was an old mode called servo auto trim that you had to manually do it. Um, so you would fly straight and level for two seconds with servo auto trim on, and then you turn it off, and that would figure it out and set it as, as, as the mean of what the controls had been that you were holding them at. Uh, yeah, this I was going to say that because then you have to. I, I remember doing that on a plane because you had to put it in auto trim mode, and then you'd have to basically hold your sticks in a way that the plane was level, and then you take it off. And if that was okay, I can't you remember the order. You had to come and land it and then turn it off or something, and that would save your positions, but I can't remember it, so I'd have to keep looking it up on my phone. But you're saying yeah. you can just flick it into like auto-level mode, and it will just figure it out, and then so the next say, time you go into manual, yeah. you're sorted. So in the big list where you've got things like telemetry or uh, air mode, all that crap, at the bottom it has continuously trim servos for manual mode. So you can. So the way I tend to do it, I use auto-launch, and then it, when auto-launch is finished, it's usually in Horizon, and then it flies straight in horizon for a little bit. And then I go into manual because I don't actually fly with the help of iNav. I'm, uh, iNav is there to give me an on-screen display and an oh, um, button. Because the return to home, as you've seen on the quad, 
you know, the return to home and the GPS stuff in iNav is far superior to what's in beta flight. All the beta flight fans are going nuts right now. But, you know, the, the way that return to home works actually comes to the back to the home position uh, in a quad. It then descends and then it hits the ground and lands and disarms all automatically. Or you can do things like you can set an alternative home position. So if you're flying in a place where you don't want it to come back to in the event of a fail safe, but there's a lovely big field over here, you can tell iNav, just go to the field instead. Or maybe it's a, you know, it's a long flight where it's a single direction and you want um, like a safe home points. Yeah, safe mm. home points. You can set them up. Or you can even do things like mission flying, you know, where you can save the move house then. Well, this is the this is the thing. You do have to be careful about um, you know things like mission because now you can auto load the mission into memory every time you boot it. But bottom line is there is shed loads of new stuff in iNav three, yeah. and so far, touch wood, there's there's been one little maintenance release, a little thing you on. Um, but everything I've tried it on, Jack, it's just it's just worked and it's worked really nicely. The only annoying thing about iNav 3.0 at the moment is the documentation is still absolutely crap. It's still all on the web, on the wiki. They're, they're still working to try and update it all. Between mm-hmm. 2.5 and 3, I think they changed the way some of the programming was done, didn't they? The global functions. Yeah, with the, the, logical, um, the logical switching and things like that, has changed anyway. Kind of coalesced before. it into a single thing, where it used to be a couple of different pieces. Didn't yeah, it? and it was it was it was almost like something out of OpenTX in the first implementation. Mm. And I did a video on it, which meant that if you knew if you understood the OpenTX stuff, which about five percent of people do, you kind of looked at that in iNav and went, oh, okay, yeah, got it. Um, but it needs to be really simple. But the the nice thing is with iNav three is it's easier to set up and get it flying than it was in previous versions, in my humble opinion. There's more stuff done automatically for you. Not enough still, yeah. It's not, you know, we're not open pilot um, levels yeah, of, no. you know, wizardry. But um, but no, it just it just works. It's cracking. You, you I, can I easily love do it. stuff like enable and disable servo outputs on switches and set them to predetermined defaults and things, can't you? That's yeah. really useful. You can do all that, all that stuff. Um, and, and it just... It just works really nice. I love auto launch. You know, I use it on everything now because it just means you go up the field, you know, you, you, you arm um, the the wing, you just whack the throttle up to 100% and just throw it, you, you know, and then by the time you've got your goggles pushed, pulled down onto your eyes and you've got your, your fingers on, on your sticks, you're already 100, 120 feet. And as soon as you touch the sticks, you know, you're out of auto launch. And it just all those times you used to go to the field and you you know you'd spend five minutes getting set up and you'd be all ready and you'd throw the wing and you'd throw it in a really bad way and it would just go straight into the ground and the battery would be ejected and your GoPro would disappear into a bush. Yeah, all that stuff is just so much nicer. You can just throw the bloody thing. So uh, so Jack, if you want to set something up with iNav 3.0, I'm happy yeah. if you want me to talk you through it, man. It's but it's yeah, it sounds sounds pretty. It sounds unbelievable. Um, you know the whole um, you got to be careful moving home, Steve. Um, if you're too far away, it will ignore that safe point. Okay, but also like you know, too far. Well, what's the too far boundary? We're talking a couple of kilometers. I, I, well, you can you can you can set it you can set it uh, manually, but I think it's like something like forty you know, 40 metres or something. I can't remember. It was something like that. We asked Pavel a long time ago. 
there's a couple of safe things that you check. There's one um, checking how far, because the thing is, in, in theory, when you arm it is when you set your home position, if you haven't set, you know, your kind of safe homes. Um, but also, if you create a mission and the first waypoint is too far away from where you arm it, um, you know, it will it will kind of go, no, I'm not doing that. That's, that sounds too dodgy. And it does mean that, you know, if you set a mission up went for, for a flying day in Yorkshire, and then you're over here in the northwest. You don't go you know, hit the mission switch accidentally, and it just takes off over the Pennines, and you never see it again. <laughs> um, a, a good, a good comment here from Lurgy One. Uh, he says, "So basically, what we're saying is everyone is making really cool stuff, but not writing an instruction manual." Um, yeah, pretty much, Lurgy. That's pretty yeah. much what we're saying. It's no, more fun to cold, cool, cool stuff. It's less fun to document it nicely. Yeah, well, none of none of the developers want to spend time sitting doing the boring crap and go back to my point about there needs developers to be some know how it works image. already. Why should they bother to document it? Yeah, and and, and as far as the devs <laughs> who have spent documenting, just read the code. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's just obvious. And, and, and this is this is times my day job. Like, why we don't need documents? Just read the code. Yeah. Uh, the, but the, Stephen, that's a common thing with very, te- uh, you know, very clever technical people. Is for them, it's so obvious. Is yeah. sometimes they struggle to kind of take it back to the crayon level for the new pilot who's never seen it before to explain how it works. Pictures, as it was described to me by one of our senior technical staff, you had to go to, to take the engineers' stuff and talk to the executives who actually held the purse strings and draw big animal pictures on a whiteboard to explain how it all worked and. Mr. Cow over here wants software as a service. <laughs> Mr. Pigeon over here has some electricity. Yeah. <laughs> but the level crossing between the zoo and the pond isn't big enough. So what we have to do, yeah, I, I, oh, okay, right, I get it now. Yeah, that's bandwidth. But but yeah. but but a lot. But going back to Lugie's point, yeah, that's absolutely the point. If a lot of the developers want to do all the cool stuff and exciting stuff, and if to be fair, I kind of want to do that stuff as well. Going back afterwards and trying to write it in a way that explains it <laughs> in sock puppet level, thank you, Jack, um, is is just not a fun, sexy part of the job. And that's that's why, you know, my point before about ELRS, I think them having some kind of commercial support by from the hardware vendors to, to make sure that stuff happens yeah. is, is really important. Bear in mind they only hit 1.0 like a month ago, so... This is all very early days. Maybe a couple of years down the line, it'll look a bit more sane. Yeah, I, I think it will. I think in six months from now, I think it'll be a completely different landscape. I think it's a little bit like like you, you mentioned with the D8 mm-hmm. clones and stuff. It's a little bit like the Wild West at the moment. And yeah. and you know, do we just need to st- just need to stick with it? And I'm I'm quite prepared to because I want it to succeed. It's got to be better than D8, right? That's what you got at the moment as your open source free clone alternative D8, D16, which suck. Let's <laughs> just move. Well, D16's not even, you know, Free Sky keep throwing their prime out about that. Yeah, yeah. If you've D16. got a new FR Sky radio, you're not using any of the clone stuff because they, uh, yeah, they drop support for the old D16. Mm. Ironically, if you've got a multi protocol module, you can pair to the new FR Sky stuff with FR Sky X2, but. You, if you've got an FR Sky radio, you you a new FR Sky radio, you can't connect to any of the traditional FR Sky equipment. So, don't is, isn't that is. crazy? A third party piece of technology can actually speak to more Free Sky technology than Free, te- free Sky technology can. It just, and, and we all know exactly why that is, right? Because they, you Some know, the boardroom had a bit of a tantrum and wanted to make their rule the world. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and they went for the ball and went home. Yeah, that's that's what it's about. They stopped giving pilots what they want and tried to do with the DGI, which is selling stuff that they want to sell to people, Um, because because that way, you know, you're you're in control of the relationship, not the customer, and all the open source stuff is absolutely the other side of that. You know, and um, I think the result of that, though, is they open the door for the likes of Radio Master and Jumper. Because there's one thing I don't hear about people buying at the moment is Free Sky Radios. That's just they're, they're excited about the new TBS Mambo, but they're not crying over the new FR Sky Ethos radio, are they? Maybe that Ethos is targeted more to the really rich fixed wing guys who'll dump five hundred quid on a radio and not care about it. But I don't see any quad pilots looking at, at that new Ethos stuff. No, no, I, I, I'm. I wouldn't at the moment be interested in doing a review of that um, just, just because I'd, I, there's, there's so much other really cool, interesting stuff because um, Radio Master continue to make uh, innovative. I, I would just love a smaller radio that has full four-in-one functionality because the Mambo, I actually really like the size of the Mambo. Um, I think that's a beautiful size radio. Uh, the, only, the only issue I have with the Radio Master is it's just it's a big boy. Got one yeah. of fail-safe modules in here. That's about as small as you can get, really. Does the job? Because yeah. those those are amazing. If you want to, if you're on a backpack with a little wing to disappear, you know, to park your car and disappear into the woods or whatever, or onto a you know mm. top of a mountain to go flying, you don't right. you don't want a TX sixteen. You want something like that. And, yeah. those, and if you if you know, if it's certain generation, if you're you're a gamer, you know, and you're used to holding an Xbox or PlayStation controller, those things just feel so bloody natural. They're lovely. Yeah, and you get an okay amount of fly time. I, I do occasionally take a USB power pack and USB-C into the back of it when I'm flying just to avoid any low battery alarms. But, you know, that's because I don't switch it off between flights and I just leave it running for hours on end. And I'm getting sort of three hours out of it, I guess, with with Express LRS running the whole time. It's not too shabby. That's not bad. Not, that's not bad. That's that, you know, that, that, yeah, if you're with your mates, that's a full day's worth of flying if you just... You know, you yeah. turn the radio off in between. Definitely. Not yeah, too shabby. Yeah, I, I saw that um, there were a couple of people. I think the, the latest FR Sky one had Android integrated into it, and I started looking at some of the Futaba radios, and I think their high-end have Android in as well, and it seems like they're targeting a very specific demographic. And I won't say it's age-related, but it's certainly technology-related, the sort of person who thinks that they should maybe look at their flight plans and talk to their friends on their radio, which has an Android element, instead of get their phone out and use their phone to do that. And that seems to be what they're doing. But then you've got the problem of after-sales support. I'm pretty sure that Futaba and all these people are not going to be updating their radios every couple of months for the latest Android security fixes and patches. So you've got this radio that's going to be stuck in 2020 or 2019, whenever you bought it. And meanwhile, Android and everything else is moving on at 100 mile an hour, and your radio is going to be looking out of date far quicker than your T16 or other similar radio would look out of date. Yeah. And the issue, of course, is with Android is that they're all variations on a theme. You know, there's no one Android implementation. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it gets a little bit more complicated for that. I know I've come a cropper with some of that stuff. Uh, recently, but it, it's 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 an interesting one. I mean, because we've we've already had that um, explosion in the radio um, market, and it seems to kind of resolve down to a to a sensible number of players again who are actually serious about it and making decent stuff. 
What do you think um, is going to happen in the radio market now? Because it's been stagnant. Outside of the Mambo, which looks really promising, the major players, you know, we had Radio Master, Clone Jumper, and Isheen, Clone Radio Master, and all these things just exploded out of that T16 design. But nothing since then. It's been really quiet. Well, well it, it, nobody cloned anybody, actually. I don't know if you're aware of the background of this, Stephen. So, so the... The original oh, maybe jumpers, clones is a strong term, but there's a very, yeah, there's a very, there's an influence. If you measure the dimensions, they're within ten mil of each other on every dimension, and they are basically the they're basically the same radio, right? It's it, they're all riffing on the same theme. Um, a, a common design that was created by Radio Master, well, actually with Jumper and Radio Master's parent company, and then they split and they created their own Radio Master brand, and then they uh, white labeled a version of that for Ishin. Right. So, so actually, no, you know, the same the, process as people do in enterprise technology. They just take something that's made by a company you've never heard of and they put a new chassis on it and they put their logo on it and they put their software on it and they say, this is our product. They didn't make the product. They just kind of wrapped it. Yeah. And, and to be honest, the, the Radio Master stuff is touch wood so good that it's, we're at the point now where people are have, they want to white label it because actually it's, it's, it's less of a hassle and less of a risk than going out and creating something new. Uh, the exciting thing is, and I don't know this yet because I've just been teased by Radio Master. <laughs> it looks like there is some new stuff coming, um, but but Radio Master have that have at the moment. I think the chance to really become what Free Sky were for us in the hobby mm -hmm. six seven years ago, where they were the answer. To to all the people who wanted to be monolithic and proprietary and closed source. And they came along and just kicked the doors open and went, you know, free, we're free sky. We don't believe in this. We're going to give you the, the most capable radio for the money anyone's ever seen. I think, I think it, you know, we need someone else to do that. And hopefully Radio Master will do it. They've got the technology. They've got the know-how. Um, you know, the only thing that I'm, I've got a question mark about, and I'm, you know, I'm interested in your guys' thoughts, is the whole OpenTX, Edge TX thing which, you know, the, it's a big part of what a lot of people are looking at what, for these radios. What around screen. that are you interested in? I'm not interested in any part of HTX. But Is that's you, kind of why, why my point. Why are you not interested in HTX? Because I, I want... Well, let, 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 let's return it around. Why are you, in, are you interested in HTX? Yeah, yeah, because I, I wanted to run 500 hertz, which OpenTX said they weren't interested in supporting. Um, right. I wanted to get new mixer sync updates, which OpenTX weren't going to release soon. And I hope to buy a color radio in the future and get touchscreen support, which OpenTX. Why, why do you want touchscreen and a color screen when you're wearing goggles? Just to be able to jump around my models. I mean, I'm okay. So fair enough. I don't actually own a color screen radio right now. I've got some black and white ones and they're doing me just fine. But I thought it might be nice when we get to a level of software sophistication that can actually make use of the color screens. It'd be nice. And I think that it goes hand in hand when you get these better radios, they enable better software and it opens up the horizons for what you can achieve in the software. And OpenTX is working very well for fixed wing pilots that want a stable and dependable radio base. But I think EdgeTX is there for people who want to try some some cutting edge features doesn't mean the cutting edge is necessarily better it might be a lot less reliable but they want to try it out and see what it's like uh, experiment a little bit you know try yeah. something new 
The, the the reason that I'm not excited about the whole Edge TX thing is kind of going back to Jack's point. I have a lot of the radios with a color screen, and to be blunt, I'm, the only thing I use the screen for is to change the model memory when I'm binding, and then once I'm flying, I've got the goggles on. So the whole idea of touch, although it was kind of an exciting thing in the early days, I'm kind of, you know what, I'd, I'd rather have some of the other features that you're talking about, Stephen, then, you know, touch is not, those things are interesting. But actually for me, what I'm more excited about or I, I, would, I would get more emotional about is uh, making OpenTX and those radios easier to use so they're more accessible for right. newer pilots, right? Because Open the reason I have like 300 videos on OpenTX and Tyrannus and stuff is because it is incredibly complicated. Now, for, for us who have been using it for a long time, um, you know, you, you, you kind of oh. I need to increase my expo or I'll add another switch for the beeper. You know, it's a two-second job. Well, 20 seconds maybe. But it's not, is it? And that, that's one thing I get up with Edge TX as well. So I came from a world using this little yellow mini here. And when I plug this into USB, I don't have a configurator app. Yep. It appears as USB drive. And I go into it, and there's a directory called models. And I have model1.ini, model2, model3, model4, blah, 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 blah. Right? And, and each of those INI files is just a plain text file. So I can go in there and I can edit it. And I can say, I want this switch to do that. And if I want the switch to be configured the same as another model, I can look how the other model's configured, yeah, select just it, copy it, and yeah. paste it. I don't have to fanny around, click, 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 and watch Lee's video to do it. I could just copy and paste it. And, and that is what HTX is trying to do. They're trying to move the configuration files. Because right now, if you save models in OpenTX, it actually takes a snapshot of the RAM and it serializes it and sends it to disk which is a terrible way of saving everything. It's up, It's awful because when you snapshot the RAM, it doesn't make it easy for a user to edit. You need a dedicated application companion. Yeah. And it's very, very brittle because you there's no kind of configuration checking. You've got to understand all of the paths that go through the code and make sure that memory contents would work in the code. Yeah. So it, it's kind of the worst of both worlds. And with... HTX, they're talking about moving away from that memory dump format to a YAML format. And YAML ain't a markup language, is, is a standard sort of the, the most human readable way of storing config files is generally agreed. Like you've got XML and JSON, which chuck loads of brackets and quotes and everything. And then you've got YAML, which is basically just text with some colons and white space. It, so it confuses me that, that people would be editing off radio. It seems to me that when you get a radio, it's best to learn how to do things on the radio. And with most of the things, you're saying, I've set up my model first time, which, depending on your experience level, might be a bit of a ball ache. But then when you set up your next model, you're basically saying, copy that model to this and then maybe change a bit around. I don't, maybe it's just me, I don't really understand. And I think for the, the basic user, the, the idea of like you connect up to USB, you go to the text file and you do this and this is much more scary and in depth than saying, press these buttons and copy that model. And if you want to change switches around this, how you do it. I just, I don't understand that the, the, the case of like taking it offline and editing For it in example, a different way. I discovered how I could reuse the trims on this radio and make them into switches. And I wanted to go and do that for all of my models. And so I could just paste the same section into every model's file instead of edit, edit, or create a brand new model for each one. 
I, 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 I see if I get where you're coming from because I would, I would love manufacturers to be able to ship uh, model memories and radio setups as part of it, you know, whether it's a, a, a helicopter, a quad, whatever. And it was, and it was easy to put it on the radio. You know, today I actually had a situation um, with my Tyrannus, which is behind me. Whoops. See, not the right way around again. Um, and I, I, uh, built the plane and the way i build the planes is that i figure out what the um, middle channels need to be using a servo checker and write the numbers down 1450 you know for the middle channel for the aileron whatever and then i program that on the radio and when i plug it all in it's all absolutely spot on it's just the way i've always done it but i thought i'll be a smart ass i was on the computer so i created the modeling companion going back to yeah and going back to wayne's point i i never do this but I thought, oh, I'll, I'll, you know, maybe it'll make a video. So I did it in Companion, and I plugged the radio in, and the re- there's like the other 40 model memories that are on the radio, uh, three, of, three of which haven't been backed up anywhere because they're, they're new models I've got in. So then I dragged and dropped the new model onto the radio and wrote it all back. Wayne's already way ahead of me because he's giggling. Um, and then kind of power cycled the radio. The radio came back up and went, oh, EEPROM inconsistency. For, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll sort this out. And it came back up and it wiped everything. And I had that bit, you know, you know where you kind of bum all goes like that. And I was thinking, oh, my God, because there's literally 40 models on here. I haven't backed it up since April. Thank God Companion actually backed, did a backup. I had to scramble and find this backup and put it on. But it, but it just, it would just be lovely if there was a way that you could upload, the, the, you know, like a model memory, and it would kind of go, okay, uh, t- tell me, okay, there are four switches in this model memory. Which one do you want for arming? Flick it now. Which one do you want for modes? Flick it now, and it just set it up. At the moment, you know, if I can make a mistake like that, having used OpenTX for six odd years. The guys who have never seen this stuff before are absolutely snookered. I mean, yeah. we haven't had a we haven't had any proper wizards for anything apart from multi rotor and a couple of fixed wings uh, for yonks. You know, I I, I want that kind of stuff. Um, as a guy who spends a lot of time helping OpenTX people with their radios, there is a million things I would like in OpenTX uh, that that is not touchscreen. Yeah, and I think basically all these things that you want, which the most conservative OpenTX users don't give a damn about, that's why EdgeTX exists. No, 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 Stephen, sorry, I've not made myself clear. No, no, it's it's not that... It's not that I'm talking about esoteric stuff or wacky stuff or things that nobody uses. The questions that I'm getting on a daily basis, the basic things, because OpenTX is so Yeah, why can't there be a wizard and things like that? But these are all new features. And I think right now it seems the OpenTX project has got to a point where it's really difficult to get new code in there unless it's a bug fix on an existing function. Like when, when the ELRS guys said, well, we'd like 500 hertz, they said, oh, well, we designed for 250 hertz rate. And that was it. I was just like, well, can we add 500? No, we're designing for 250 hertz. Oh, okay. Yeah. 250 I, I, hertz isn't broken. We're not going to fix it, was basically. I, I mean, it, it, it reminds me of, of the de- back in the days when we had clean flight and beta flight. Do you remember those? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, kind, it kind of feels like before. the same kind of situation where the new version might become the de- default standard. Um, but but yet sometimes these things become self-fulfilling prophecies because if if you know going back to the whole thing about developers, if you 
had some time and you wanted to to work on something, you know, do you go to the project that's exciting and sexy and enables you to do those things and play, or do you go to the project that's a little bit more uh, less exciting and and more restrictive? You know, it's kind of human nature. You're always going to go to the sexier one. So it's kind of it's. So, but that means that the the one that's a bit more restrictive and a bit more doesn't get some of the love. And I'm not I'm not sure that OpenTX, you know, I, I don't quite I'm not think I'm quite ready for OpenTX to be abandoned in that way in in favour of another another version and where where all the sexy stuff happens. I think I was talking to it, Curry. It might have been someone else. And people who have OpenTX, you know, they're like, oh, I'm running OpenTX 2.2. Will that feature work? And I'm like, wow. That means, you know, you haven't upgraded that radio in, in quite a few years. And I think lots of OpenTX people are absolutely fine with that. They just want something to work. Yeah. Mm. And my yeah. question was, is, is OpenTX still heavily funded by FreeSky? And is, is there a... Because you were talking, Lee, earlier about perhaps ELRIS should get funded in some way to do that. But I've, I've always felt there's there's been a bit of a... Uh, I don't know if it's like being pulled in two different directions, but it felt like FreeSky did control OpenTX, at least in, in some ways, for some time. And that's why we have FreedomTX, right? Well, that is yet yeah. another fork for TBS, yeah. Well, the, the, it, interestingly, if you look at what Trappy is backing, Trappy is backing OpenTX. Yeah. He's not backing EdgeTX. He's back, backing OpenTX. So not everybody has has gone with a big shiny. I don't ship. think it comes with one or the other. Like OpenTX is just where if you want to put in some experimental features, put them in there. And TBS are not selling experimental features. TBS are supporting a range of products that have been out for years. So nothing about TBS is experimental. It's going in as just standard updates to the routine OpenTX code base. It's just a new target, essentially. It's a new radio yeah. support, isn't it? That's what they're after yeah. for their Mambo and the Tango 2. But but then, to be fair, he needs that because if you have an older FreeSky radio and you want to use one of his technologies, if you're going to copy your models between, hopefully more successfully than I did today, <laughs> copy your models between the radios, companions the way that you kind of have yeah. to do that unless you want a world of pain. On a related note, I thought, well, we've got you chaps on here. There was a guy in our Discord who was saying, oh, I've got a new quad. Um, what should I get for antennas? And I don't know if anyone's looked around, but they've been quite short of late. There's a, some, definitely some stock shortages that are starting to roll through. And I wondered you know, what, what you guys might pick for a, a general purpose antenna. Maybe we could talk about what we pick for our super fancy wrap it in cotton wool antenna, what you put on your beta quad and fly around the trees uh, and what you put on the sort of cheap things where you don't need great range. Goggles or the quad or both? Well, for for both. Let's start out with goggles because the premium options you're going to put on your goggles where they don't get smacked around, right? And Jack's scratching himself with, what's that, Troasi or a menace or something? Menace. Menace, right. Yeah. Yeah, surely menace has all your antenna needs. (laughs) <laughs> although greg's an office friend it's yeah. what i've been using the periscope and one of the patches depending on the one i'm usually the pico patch actually there well, we go. I, did, you, I did recommend the menace periscope yeah there we go yeah i mean here, here we go right let me let me let me simple this down right you've got you've got vas not available in this country and very expensive 
you know, and they're kind of like brought over. You got True RC, they're all like, How you doing? And Tim Hortons, and what's all that about? So they're over in, you know, above Yeehaw Land. And the um, Yorkshire area of Canada. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. The, the free healthcare and, area of the continent. Yeah. And yeah, and then uh, you've got like the triumphs and stuff like that. They're just made by VAS, and you're paying the TBS tax. And uh, and then you've got the cheap cruddy stuff from China. I have to say, my my triumph does have an impressively robust looking plastic shell on it, and I've had some plastic shells that just crap themselves the instant I tapped a branch, <laughs> and I never find find it just explodes. You know, there's you end up with a cylinder with no top on it and all that stuff. On on the quads, I've been so impressed with um, Rush FPV is is a, a a company I really like for their VTXs and their cherry antennas. Um, oh, I yeah. put these up against some quite premium antennas and they really did perform very well. Uh, that's they have the clear kind of plastic shell on the outside, kind of like the True RC ones, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, this. I'm the same as Jack. I'm a Menace RC pilot. I use them pretty exclusively on everything. Um, the stubbies on the on the models, the aeropods on the wings because it's an aerodynamic. Um, shell that goes mm-hmm. against the body and uh, the periscope with the what's mm. it, their, their, their kind of double layer thing and they yeah. just they just the thing the thing yeah the pico patch the thing is they're not particularly expensive so if i smash one i i don't really care i'll just I'll, as long as the vtx works i'll just put another one on it see these were great but you, you obviously you can't really get them that much the old fat shark immersion rc Things, did you but... see the antenna lab test that Greg and I did? Uh, I with like the HGLRC mini hammer, I'm struggling. Mm. I want to get the mirroring there. That, that <laughs> for a micro is quite good. Um, yeah, it, it is a micro antenna though, you wouldn't want anything big. But it, instead of a, it's got a rubbery stem, so they've put a bit of rubber below the antenna instead of hard plastic or heat shrink, so it just bounces, which is quite nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I didn't. See the antenna lab. I was going to watch it, but I'm an asshole. But no, no. But the the interesting thing is probably the best antenna that, to, including Greg's stuff, was actually that one you've just had in your hands. That old style, big mushroom, ugly um, yeah. immersion RC fat shark one from back in the day uh, was just amazing. That VSWR was really low across the entire. That was uh, a FBB range. plastic shell, right? Mm, yeah, stamps. Before everyone moved Copper. to pagodas, right? Because mm. I've got some of the OG. Oh yeah, it was pre-pagoda. Two layers, yeah. and they just separated them with a piece of wire, and they got trashed. And then they wrapped the whole thing in a plastic shell, and it's like the one Jack's got in his uh, left hand there, I believe. Yeah. So right hand clover leaf in a plastic shell, and pagoda in the other one. Yep, yeah. that's right. It, uh, I, I still th- do. You remember those early days of FPV where we'd get those w- expose wire ones? And then you yeah. crash and they get all twisted and you just try and eyeball it and fly. And, and, and we, oh, how the heck did we manage with that's all that? That's exactly why people move to pagodas, right? Because the clover leaves got trashed so easily. The pagodas, you could print them on a PCB and you wouldn't have to hand That's it, Jack. 
but these th- those were really good and people got really really good at making them there's a little sort of home economy from people you always knew the right person on the forum to go to to make you an antenna <laughs> and he'd have a little kit there and he'd bend them and he'd spend money doing his like swr stuff and it's like yeah brilliant and yeah you crash it and you're shit yeah. let me just get a pair of pliers and that looks about right let's <laughs> see how that works now swr is about right i'll just we we need to convince menace to do ufl stuff though that's the only that's the only thing with menace well I he's think not keen on that with... as, as a connector is he maybe he's trying to no. stop people using bloody ufl no yeah. you, they only only have a handful of connections um in the specs before they're screwed mm. but talking about menace that probably brings Quite us nice on to western park doesn't it Boom, boom. No, because it's the end of the show. You spent too long arguing about Open Edge TX or whatever, or Open TX. It was like, we don't like it when mummy and daddy fight. The poor cat hasn't been fed. But yes, we will be at uh, 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 Western Park, I believe. You're going to be representing the show, are you, Jack? No, that's Frank's job. I'm going to be too heavily drugged. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, don't forget, I'm out in public, so I need to be heavily medicated so I don't say anything too offensive. That's all right. Well, well, because I, I, I think Menace is at the show, isn't he? I think Greg's down there. Um, I believe so. Him. So, uh, so yeah, we, 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 can, we can ask him about UFL connectors at Western on Saturday and find out, yeah, his, uh, his, his opinion. Uh, but I, th- I think it's because they're just crap connectors for many. If you if you make the connection once, from what, what from what I can recall, the last time I spoke to him about it, it's fine. But if you constantly undo and remake the connection, yeah, you, you get five or ten. Yeah, I, I and completely then understand. Gone, More than once, I've connected it and I've gone to unconnect, and the entire PCB has yeah. just come away with it, and it's like, <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> that's the problem. That, that, that chat got soldered on UFL after it gave up the ghost. What I normally do is I put them down and then, you know, that the welder glue, it's kind of like a rubbery adhesive. Nick Burns always tells people to fix their whoop hoops with it. Yeah. I've got a load of that for fixing whoops back in the day. And uh, yeah, I just put a blob of that on the UFL and it works like the kind of yellow glue that you see from PCB manufacturers. You get a BNF with the UFL, they usually put this yellow foam glue on it. It's mm. like that, but you can actually peel it off. Stops it wriggling. Yeah. Right. Um, that's all we've got time for but uh, you've been joined by everyone's favourite curry kitten right the person who could put walruses to shame with his moustache Stephen thanks Jack cheers (laughs) and everyone's favourite this is how you use OpenTX paying the 360 thanks Jack and I've been bright till I fly see you at Western or not Thank you. Good night. Cheers. Bye-bye. Catch you later. Telemetry lost.